Well, good morning and happy Resurrection Day. If you'd have told me at our Easter service in 2019 that it would be two years until we gathered again for an Easter service, I wouldn't believe you. We weren't here last year. We sent you a recording. We were all at home last Easter 2020. It's been two years since we've been able to gather together, so I've been waiting a while to do this. I know you did it at the beginning, but when I call out, He is risen, I want to hear you loud enough. In fact, I want Uptown to hear you when we cry out, all right? He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Praise God for what he's done in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross and raising him from the dead. We have hope this morning as Christians because of what God has already done in Christ. As we begin our time looking at Romans chapter 6, let's bow, let's pray once more. Father in heaven, we ask for your help this morning. We ask for hope that would come from the power of your Holy Spirit as we look to your scriptures. We pray you'd encourage our church in this hope that you've given us in Jesus. Strengthen our faith as we listen this morning. Conform us to look more and more like your son, Jesus. And help those who are here this morning who don't know you to see the need and the urgency to turn and to believe in Jesus. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. On the pages of the Bible, we find testimony and we find evidence that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning, is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. The first Christians began meeting on the first day of the week, Sunday morning. That morning that Jesus got up from the dead to praise God and to thank him for what he did in raising Jesus from the dead and indeed to be a witness to proclaim this good news of a crucified and risen Messiah. And we come together this morning with Christians all around the globe. We come together this morning as Christians have done for 84 years here on this piece of property in Charlotte, North Carolina to proclaim that Jesus has risen from the dead. And this morning, we look to God's word to be reminded of the hope and the grace that God gives to all of those who turn and place their trust in Jesus. Well, how does the Easter story become the story of your life? If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you have a testimony of that, of a moment when God saved you, when this story, the Easter story, became the story of, of your life. So, so Christian, it's important to consider this morning How do these events 2,000 years ago, the death and the resurrection of Christ, how do they make a powerful difference in your Christian growth today, in in your sanctification, in your following of Jesus today? That's what we're going to consider this morning as we study a passage in the book of Romans. It's a New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church there in Rome, he wrote. And some biblical scholars refer to the book of Romans as the greatest letter ever written. It it tells of of God's grace in Jesus. And it tells Christians, therefore, how we are to live. And so we're going to be in Romans chapter 6 this morning. And if you're taking notes, the main idea of this message in Romans 6, verses 1 through 5 is this. Christians live in the power of the resurrection not under the power of sin. Christians live in the power of the resurrection, not under the power of sin. Because we have a living Savior, we have a living hope. Christ died and rose again, and therefore those who believe in him have died to sin and live 
a new life. Well, go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. You can turn in your own Bibles, or you can look on page 9 of your bulletin. The the best way to stay engaged uh, in this service is to go ahead and just look at this passage as we make our way through it. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, Paul became a follower of Jesus and an apostle, handpicked by the risen Lord Jesus himself after he was a persecutor of the church. You see, Paul first opposed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't believe the resurrection of Jesus. He didn't believe that Jesus got up from the dead. He was committed actually to stamping out the movement of Christians that was proclaiming this truth, that Jesus had risen from the dead and was the Messiah. And Paul went from being a persecutor to a preacher after becoming an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the resurrection transformed him from an enemy of Christianity to one of the greatest missionaries of Christianity. And Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome to further explain the gospel to them and to instruct Christians on how to live the Christian life. And really the layout of the letter in the first part of the letter to the Romans, he talks about justification, how you are saved. And then he turns in chapter 6 going on, here's how you must live after you're saved. Talks about sanctification. And so in Romans 6, he's explaining how the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus make a difference in the lives of Christians today, every day. This chapter, it addresses the believer's participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you've repented of your sin against God and placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, then this passage tells us that the story of Easter became your story. You participated in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you haven't yet repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to ask you to listen to this message and consider how the story of Easter can become your story even today if you would turn and put your faith in Jesus. Well, as we make our way through Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, I want us to see two ways the death and resurrection of Jesus affects Christians today. That's our outline this morning for taking notes. Two ways the death and resurrection of Jesus affects Christians today. Let's consider first in verses 1 through 3, the death of Christ has made us dead to sin. The death of Christ has made us dead to sin. Chapter 6 begins with two questions there in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, Paul would often 
raise questions as he wrote, almost as a way of anticipating objections and further explaining the gospel. Now, some of the Jewish leaders of that day would hear Paul preach the gospel of Jesus, and some of them would think that his message would lead to a disregard of God's law, that that a message of grace from God would grant too much liberty. Now, Paul anticipated these objections and these questions here in verse 1 were raised in connection to what Paul wrote a few verses back in chapter 5, verse 20. He pointed out there, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. To say that God's gracious means that he blesses the undeserving. God saves sinners because he's gracious. He lavishes his riches upon anyone who would trust in him because he's a gracious God. He is mighty to save. The the Christian message is a message of God's saving grace in Jesus. And as Paul proclaimed this message of Christianity, the gospel, he knew that God's grace might be easily misunderstood or, or even yet twisted. Some might object, they might even wrongly reason that if the Christian message is a message of forgiveness of sins, if it's a message of grace, well, why wouldn't you just continue to sin? Meaning if all you have to do is continually to say, I'm sorry, and you're good with God, well, well, then why not just continue to live in sin and not live a changed life? All you would need to do is just say, you're sorry. It kind of reminds me when we were parenting our kids when they were toddlers, when they were little. We were trying to teach them not to play rough with one another, not to push each other and throw each other down. I remember at one time instructing one of our children to go and tell the other one to say, I'm sorry for doing that. And she misunderstood. She thought that that meant she could go and say, I'm sorry, and then push him down. So that was, sorry, push you down, sorry, push you down. That wasn't the lesson. The lesson was stop pushing your sibling down. Don't continue on in this way of living. That's similar to what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's anticipating some might wrongly reason that if our good deeds and our best effort don't save us and get us to heaven, if salvation is all by God's grace, then some may ask, why care about obedience to God's word? Why care about holiness? Why even bother with trying to live a life of obedience to God's word? If God is gracious and forgives sin, why not continue in it? And the answer Those questions there in verse 2, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? By no means is a phrase that communicates a rejection in the strongest terms. The gospel of God's grace and Jesus Christ does not lead to more sin. It does not lead to apathy about sin in your life. God's grace does not lead to a licentious attitude that continues on in sin. Rather, God's grace sets you free from sin. God's grace sets you free from sin because those who put their faith in Christ, Paul says, have died to sin. Notice this this death to sin that Paul speaks of. It's in the past tense. Christians have already died to sin. So Paul is not telling Christians that you need to go and die to sin. This is something that has already happened in the life of someone who's put their faith in, in Jesus. Now, you may hear this as a Christian. You may wonder, well, if that's true, if I've died to sin, why do I face temptation so often, so regularly? Why do I find myself failing so often and in need of regularly coming and confessing sin to God? What Paul's talking about here is dying to the power of sin. Sadly, this side of glory, Christians, we will experience the presence of sin in us 
around us. Even here in Paul's writing, we can understand that sin continues to be a threat. That's why he says don't continue in it. But our present reality as Christians is that we have been set free from the power of sin. Now notice we see the word sin here in the singular form. Now we need to understand the difference between sins in the plural and sin in the singular. Sins in the plural, that's just specific acts, thoughts, deeds that dishonor God, that break his law, lying, coveting, lusting, stealing. Those are sins in the plural. But, but sin in the singular is a condition of the heart. It's a condition that we're, we're born into. Paul teaches elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that we are all born under the power of sin. He describes it as being dead in your sin, completely under the control of sin, sinful desires dominating you, ruling over you. As we've been studying the book of Genesis, that's where we've been most of this year, we know that the condition of sin, it came through Adam and his sin against God in the Garden of Eden. And it was a condition that was then passed on to every human being except for Jesus. Now, Paul says that Christians have died to sin. He's writing about what happens when someone repents of their sin and puts their faith in Jesus. You can't free yourself from the power of sin. That's something that only God Almighty can do. What Paul is saying is this. By God's grace, Christians have been transferred from one realm, this death to sin, this being dead in sin, to being in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, dying to sin, transferred from one realm to another. So, so follow the, the logic here. Since you've died to sin, you will not live in it. How can you? His argument is that when a person receives Christ and Savior as Savior and Lord, you die to sin. By God's grace, you've died to a lifestyle of sin and disobedience to God's word. You know, if you claim to be a, a Christian and continue to live in a pattern of sin, I mean, that's the regular practice of your life. Your life is characterized and marked by giving yourself over to sin. This passage would tell you you're not really a Christian. A lot of people claim to be, thinking that being a Christian means that maybe you, you believe in God and you come to an Easter service, so you go to a Christmas service, that you're not Jewish, you're not Muslim, you're not atheist, so you must be Christian. After all, you were born in the South. Well, this passage tells us that if your life doesn't look like Jesus, then you haven't really died with him and been raised to new life with Jesus. You see, if you're, you're here today and you're a Christian, you've already died to the power of sin. That's your present reality. That should bring comfort and assurance of the power of Christ in you that the moment God saved you, at the moment of your conversion, you were no longer under the ruling power of sin. Now, to be set from, free from sin, that sounds wonderful. Sounds like a wonderful message, but you may wonder, like any message, what ensures this? How can I be sure of this? Well, Paul points to the death of Jesus on the cross as the event in history that guarantees that Christians have been set free from sin. Paul reasons in verse 3 that Christians have died to sin because Christ died for sin. Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Paul uses the language of, of baptism here. And while this picture is the, the work of the Spirit inside of us, water baptism is indeed in view here. So, so water baptism is, I've heard it put like this, is a picture on the outside of what the Spirit of God does on the inside. 
Water baptism is the outward sign of an inward spiritual union with Jesus. Baptism reflects conversion. It's the initiation into the church. Baptism doesn't save you. In fact, it's only when it's joined by sincere faith in Christ that it has any meaning at all. Baptism symbolizes an amazing work of God's saving grace. And Paul refers to Christians as those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus because in those times, unbaptized Christians would have been unthinkable. And it still should be that way today. Now, the word baptized means to immerse. And by saying we were baptized into Christ and his death, that that speaks of a union. Our faith, symbolized by baptism, unites us to the death of Jesus Christ. Indeed, our water baptism emphasized that that death as we went under the water, completely immersed. Being immersed into Christ Jesus and immersed into his death means that at the beginning of the Christian life, there is a death to the old way of life. Well, Christian, remember your baptism. Every member of our church has been baptized upon their profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that day of your baptism. Remember what it symbolized, that through faith in Jesus Christ, you have died to sin. Paul's saying that if you understand baptism, you understand that a Christian can't continue to live in a pattern of sin because you've died to it. Your relationship with Christ, when it changes, your relationship with sin changes as well. If you're in a relationship with Christ, you're no longer continuing in a relationship with sin that you had before you were saved. Now, having died to sin doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted. doesn't mean you'll find yourself in places of struggle or that you won't find even powerful influence of sin impacting your life. But it does mean that sin does not and cannot rule over you, and therefore you must not continue to live in it. You are free to live for Christ. You are free to serve and obey and worship God. You're free to worship and live a life for the glory of God. Just as sure as Christ's death paid for sin, in him you have died to sin. You see, God accomplished this in you if you're a Christian. It's important to notice that this passage in Romans, it's in what we call the indicative, meaning a a past act of what God has already done in Christ. So our fight against sin is not fighting for victory, it's fighting from victory, from the victory of Jesus. Elder D.J. Ward put it like this, the death of Christ was not an attempt, it was an accomplishment. If anything's up to you, then Christ didn't accomplish it. Our sin, Christian, was nailed to the cross, fully forgiven, and we no longer bear the guilt of sin. That's why we rejoice on Sunday mornings. But if you also consider that we no longer in Christ bear the power of sin over us, and the death of Christ guarantees this. Well, in verses 4 through 5, we see the way that the resurrection affects Christians today. That's part 2 of our outline in verses 4 and 5. The resurrection of Christ empowers us to walk in new life. The resurrection of Christ empowers us to walk in new life. Now, for those who are in Christ, not only are we dead, but verse 4 tells us we were buried with him. Look at the beginning of verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Now, burial emphasizes the completeness 
of death. Some of you on your way here, you pass the cemetery just down the road. It's a cemetery where I've had a, a number of opportunities to lead graveside funerals. Oftentimes we'll start off with the funeral here and then the family and friends and some others will go to the graveside. And, and the graveside can be a particularly sad place while at the same time for Christians it's a place of, of, of hope. Because when we, we do a burial, we, we just had a service that was remembering that person, that was thanking God for that person's life. We just heard the gospel at that funeral service. But the, the graveside, the burial itself, has a sense of closure to it. It has a sense of finality. Christ was buried because he really died. He was placed in the tomb. And Paul is comparing his burial to ours, saying here that we were buried with them, meaning, Christian, you really died to sin. The old way of life really has passed away. Now, Jesus didn't die by accident. His life was not a life that was tragically cut short. Jesus came down to earth to die and to, to pay for sin. His death had a necessary purpose. His, his death on the cross was in order to be raised from the dead. And so you can read through the Gospels. You can see on multiple occasions, Jesus predicting both his death and his resurrection before they happened. He had a purpose. He came to die. Jesus died. He was buried on a Friday. On Saturday, his physical body lay there in the tomb. And on Sunday morning, he got up from the dead. The tomb was empty, and that changed everything. In fact, this church gathering exists this morning because the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty that Sunday morning. You ever consider that to this day there is no grave site where, where Christians can visit where Jesus is buried? Now, you can go uh, somewhere in Jerusalem and you can have a place, at least it's good for tourism, to say this is where Jesus was buried, but that tomb is, is empty. There's nowhere to go and visit where the body of Jesus lay. And that's what makes Christianity different from other religions. You might remember me saying this in past Easter's, but what stands out about Jesus, there is no tomb to visit him at. You can visit the tomb of Muhammad. His remains are in the city of Medina. Many Muslims make a pilgrimage there. You can visit the burial place of the cremated ruins of Buddha in a village in China. Even see what some say are the remains of Buddha just east of Los Angeles, some of his teeth there. The tomb of Confucius is in the Shandong province in China. You can visit there. On your next trip to London, whenever that might be, you can go to Westminster Abbey and see Charles Darwin's grave. But beginning on that third day, the followers of Jesus had no grave to visit. And this is precisely why these first Christians, like Paul, believed. Because there is no tomb that holds the body of Jesus, he indeed has followers. His death had a purpose his death and his resurrection pointed to, G to God the Father accepting Jesus' sacrifice for sin paid at the cross. It vindicated him that he indeed was the Son of God, fully God, fully man. The salvation is found in no other name under heaven except through faith in Jesus. His death had a necessary purpose to rise from the dead. And Christian, your death to sin also has a purpose. Look in the middle there, verse 4. You see the phrase, in order that which points to a purpose, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Just as Christ's death was followed by resurrection, our death to sin is followed by being raised to new life spiritually. The glory of the Father was revealed in raising Christ from the dead, and so it is with us who are in Christ. 
we too have been raised to walk in newness of life. And the main point, Paul was stressing here in verse 4, Christians should walk in newness of life. That word newness, it means a a new kind of life, a new quality of, of living. And the Christian is so deeply and closely united to Christ and his death and resurrection that we actually did die with him and were buried with him and were raised with him. The story of Easter became the story of your life at the moment of conversion. Now, Paul grounds Christian living, this new life, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A spiritual death takes place inside the Christian, and what comes out of the grave is totally different than what went in it. There's a new power at work in your life, a new power ruling you, the power of the resurrected Christ living in you. Christians don't live in sin, but rather walk in newness of life because the spirit of the resurrected Christ lives in us. Now, now walk, it's a metaphor for daily living. At conversion, a Christian begins walking in a, a different direction, walking down the path of obedience to God's word, walking down the path of worship, walking down a, a path of faith in God. We thought about that last week in Genesis chapter 5. We thought about the life of Enoch, one who walked with God, a beautiful life of walking with God. Well, Paul's saying here, all those who are in Christ walk with God. His risen life has placed you on the path of faith and worship and, and fellowship. And consider that the metaphor is walk. It's not sprinting. It's not running. Not even jogging. It's walking. And oftentimes in Christ, even walking, it's a little bit of a limp. But at the same time, it's, it's progress. The normal Christian life, and it's good news because of the risen Jesus, the normal Christian life is a life of spiritual growth a life of obedience to God's word, a life of repentance and turning to continue to walk in this direction that God has placed us on. Well, Christian, again, remember your baptism. While your baptism emphasized burial and death to sin, it also emphasized new life in Christ. Baptism being fully immersed, death, burial, and resurrection, raised to walk in newness of life. And again, You didn't raise yourself to new life. God did that. He accomplished this in you just as he raised Christ from the dead on the third day. And the call for Christians in Romans 6, live out this new life you've been given in Christ. Don't continue in sin. Well, Christian, I wonder how you can live out this new life this week. I wonder what sin you need to walk away from that you might walk with God. Jealousy, apathy in your walk with God, coveting the lives of others, lust. What is it that you need to walk away from by God's grace that you might walk more closely and deeply with God? For those who put their faith in Christ, the resurrection of Christ impacts your life in the present and all the way to the end of time. Verse 4 shows us how the resurrection of Jesus impacts the Christian's life in this world. And verse 5 speaks to the eternal future of the believer. Notice the shift in tense in verse 5. For we, if we have been united with him in a death like his, past tense, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his, future tense, shall be. 
The last part of verse 5 is speaking of the future resurrection from the dead, at the end of time when, when Christ returns. Now, there's a sense in which the Christian has already been saved and raised to new life. That's what Paul is mainly dealing with here. But there's another sense in verse 5 in which this has not yet fully happened. There is a final salvation that we all await, a resurrection that is yet to come for the Christian. And Paul is talking about in verse 5 a physical, bodily resurrection from the dead. He speaks of the resurrection of the Christian as something that will happen to their bodies on the last day when Christ returns. And when a Christian dies, your soul immediately goes to heaven to be with the Lord. Your, your physical body goes in the ground. But verse 5 tells us, and we can also read more about this in 1 Corinthians 15, your physical body will not remain there. It won't remain there forever. When Christ returns, that physical body will be raised in glory. That's the final resurrection. It's what we sang about this morning and come behold the wondrous mystery that the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees a future and final resurrection at the return of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is the foretaste, the first fruits of the resurrection in which all Christians will one day share. In other words, the final hope for Christians is not merely life after death, but life after the afterlife, the promised new heavens and earth. The final dwelling place of God will come when Christ returns and heaven consumes earth. On, on that day, God's creation will be renewed. On that day, Satan will finally be destroyed. On that day, the curse of sin done away with forever. On that day, death forever gone. No more funerals. No more cancer. No more novel viruses. No more sin against God. No more tears. No more sorrows. The resurrection of Jesus Christ ensures that day. But for Christians in modern times, sadly, we just don't speak about that too often. We talk a lot about life with Christ here. We might talk about heaven, but how often do we talk about this future resurrection? Well, Christians in past times considered this. They talked about it a lot. In fact, you know the difference between a cemetery and a graveyard? A graveyard's on church property. It's connected to a, a church. And for years, believers wanted to be buried somewhere close to their church building because they understood when their body went in the ground, they were awaiting a final resurrection. And when that final trumpet sounds at Christ's return, they wanted to be raised right there in a place that was close to their house of worship, a place they came Sunday after Sunday to look forward to this hope of Jesus's return. They wanted to be near that place. They were regularly strengthened in their hope. Well, Christian, being united to Christ, it's a life of hope. Since Jesus has risen from the dead, we too walk in newness of life. And this life we now live in Christ points us to the future and hope, a future state of glory, Christ in power, resurrected as we will be when he comes. Well, Easter is a time to look back it's a time to look forward. Every Sunday morning, we come together and worship as a church that we might look back at the cross, back at the empty tomb, and be filled with hope, looking forward to that day that our risen Savior will return and we will all be finally united to God forever. May we look back to the death and resurrection of Jesus and find comfort for today, assurance to walk with Him. And may we look to the future in hope, 
This moment in history 2,000 years ago, it's a steady source of hope. But for Christians, our hope rests in the one who got up from the dead. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior. He is risen, and indeed, he is one day returning. Don't miss that hope that Easter has for us. And as we close out, I want you to ask yourself the question, has the story of Easter become the story of your life? You may have come here this morning without much hope, but you don't have to leave that way. You can turn and trust in Jesus today. I can't think of a better time to do this than on Easter Sunday. Talk to someone who brought you, invited you today. Talk to one of our staff. We'll be down here at the back tent afterwards. We'd love to share with you more about Easter and how it can become your story today. Christ is risen. He's reigning. He's returning. And for those who know him, we will spend an eternity praising his name. Let's praise him now as we close. Father, we ask you to draw our minds to the hope found in Jesus Christ alone, that in him our life is found, in him we have hope, redemption, forgiveness of sins, freedom from the bondage and power and slavery of sin over us to live for you and for your glory. So Lord, strengthen us today that we might live in this power of the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, church. Well, let's stand and respond in worship.